ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so in the last lesson we were talking about the continuity of fasting that issue about is a person allowed to fast more than one day in a row Meaning, for example, if you get up in the morning at suhoor time and you have the suhoor, then you fast for that day. Then when it comes to Maghrib time, you don't open your fast. You carry on all the way till the next fajr and you still don't have suhoor again, you carry on. So from one suhoor, you fast for two days or three days without eating anything. Is that allowed or not? That's what we were talking about last time. And we mentioned that there are differences of opinion between the scholars about that issue. The jumhur of the scholars, the majority of the scholars, they said it is not permissible. It is not permissible to continue the fasting without opening it. So they said if you have the suhoor in the morning, then in the evening at Maghrib you should open your fast. Not that you carry on and say I'm strong and carry on. You shouldn't. There was one opinion though which said that it is allowed. There was one opinion that said it is allowed to do that because they said the Prophet ﷺ did it with the companions to show them. Uh, and there was another opinion which said that it is allowed only if you are able. If you are strong and healthy and you're able, then you can do it. And if you're not, then you shouldn't. There were three opinions that we mentioned last time in last lesson. The majority of the scholars said it's haram, you shouldn't do it. Some scholars said you can do it. And some scholars said you cannot do it if you are strong and healthy. There's a fourth opinion as well. There's a fourth opinion that Imam Ahmad, he mentioned. He said, it is permissible to do it up until the next suhoor time. So a person, he gets up in the morning, like today, for example, now is Sunday. If a person got up this morning at suhoor time, and had the suhoor, and then prayed fajr, and started fasting, all the way till maghrib time is coming now. But at maghrib time, he doesn't open his fast, doesn't eat anything, doesn't drink anything, carries on. Praise Isha, praise Taraweeh, carries on. All the way up until maybe 3 o'clock or something, 3.30 in the morning. Then it's the time for suhoor. Then he opens his fast and has the new suhoor for the next day. So his fast day is 24 hours. That some of the scholars like Imam Ahmed said you can do. Some of the scholars said you can do that if you want. That you can start your fast at suhoor and carry all the way around till the next suhoor. And then open your fast then and then have suhoor straight away for the next day. Some of the scholars said you can do that like Imam Ahmed because there's a hadith in Sahih al-Bukhari that the Prophet said لا تواصلوا Don't continue your fasts فأيكم أراد أن يواصل But if one of you really wants to carry on فليواصل إلى الصحر Then you should only continue up until the next suhoor When the suhoor time comes 24 hours later you have to open your fast and then take the suhoor for the next day That's uh, what some of the scholars have said you can do and Shaykh Salih al-Fawzan says that perhaps that could be a reasonably strong opinion because of this hadith in Sahih al-Bukhari, which says that you can do it up to that level. So that was the issue of continuation of the fasting. The next hadith now, وَعَنْهُ صَلَّى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمْ قَالْ قَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمْ وَعَنْهُ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ قَالْ قَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمْ مَنْ لَمْ يَدْعَى قَوْلَ الزُّورِ وَالْعَمَلَ بِهِ وَالْجَهْلَ فَلَيْسَ لِلَّهِ حَاجَةً فِي أَنْ يَدْعَى طَعَامَهُ وَشَرَابَهُ رواه البخاري وأبو داود ولفظ له This hadith the Prophet said that whoever doesn't leave evil speech whoever doesn't leave evil speech and false speech and acting upon it i.e. evil actions and false actions and ignorance and foolishness then there is no need for Allah for that person to leave his food and drink. So what does this hadith mean? This hadith is now talking about those things that break your fast. Things that break your fast are two types. One are physical things that break your fast. Like eating food and drink. Like having relations with your family. Intimate relations, food and drink, those types of things physically break your fast. Then there is a second type of things that break your fast and they are non-physical, meaning your speech that you do and haram things that you might do. Haram actions and haram speech 
they affect your fast because they take away your reward. But that doesn't mean that if a person does those haram things like lies or swears or deceives or spreads stories and tales and backbites, those kinds of actions, if a person does them, they reduce his reward of that fast. And maybe they reduce his reward and get rid of all of his reward. So there's no reward left whatsoever. But that doesn't mean the person, if he does that, he has to make up the fast. If a person did some bad speech during whilst he was fasting, or spread some stories or lies or slander, it's something which gets rid of the reward of his fasting, and he might get rid of all of his reward. But it doesn't mean he has to make up the fast again. So it's a type of thing that breaks your fast, but not physically. It doesn't physically break your fast so that you have to make it up again afterwards. But it takes away the reward. And that's what this hadith is speaking about now. That these kinds of actions, they take away your reward. So, قَوْلُ الزُّورِ مَنْ لَمْ يَدْعَ قَوْلَ الزُّورِ قَوْلُ الزُّورِ يَشْمَلُ كُلَّ الْكَلَامِ الْمُحَرَّمِ كَالشَّتَمْ وَالسَّبْ وَالْغِيبَةِ وَالنَّمِيمَةِ كُلُّ هَذَا مِنْ قَوْلِ الزُّورِ قَوْلُ الزُّورِ The evil and the false speech is all types of haram speech. All types of haram speech a person should not be doing them while fasting. For example, abusing someone or cursing someone or swearing at someone or backbiting someone or spreading stories and tales between people. All of that type of speech is haram speech. It is qawl zur the false and the evil speech. Summiya bi qawl zur min al-azwirar wa huwa al-inhiraf al-haq. It is called the qawl zur from the word al-azwirar and that means to be distorted and deviated away. So qawlu zur the hadith says, whoever doesn't leave the qawlu zur the qawlu zur is the speech which has deviated away from the straight path. The straight path is the good and the nice and the proper speech, the halal things. But anything which deviates away from that, so you start saying things which are haram, You've now deviated away from the Qur'an and the Sunnah and how you should behave. So your speech has now deviated. It is now zur. Zur meaning it's deviated away from the straight path. So that is what qawl zur is. Uh, and so this qawl zur it is something that a person must avoid whilst fasting. And if he doesn't, then this evil speech, this lying, this slander, this cursing, this swearing, it reduces the reward of a person. And it continues to reduce the reward of a person up until maybe that person has no reward left whatsoever for that day. It is mentioned in some other ahadith that if a person, he's fasting and somebody else comes to him and abuses him or curses him or swears at him or wants to fight him, then a person should say to him, Inni sa'im. Say to that person who abuses you or curses you or swears at you, Say to him, I'm fasting. I'm not going to get involved in you and your evil speech and your swearing and your cursing and your abuse. Whatever you want to do, you do it. I'm fasting. I'm doing my obedience and my worship to Allah and I'm not going to get involved in this bad behavior, in this bad speech. That's what the hadith says in Sahih al-Bukhari and Sahih Muslim. فَإِن صَابَّهُ أَحَدٌ أَوْ قَاتَلَهُ فَيَقُلْ إِنِّي صَائِمٌ If somebody abuses him and curses him or swears at him or tries to fight him, Say to them, I'm fasting. I'm not going to get involved with you. Do what you want. Ana sa'im. Inni sa'im. I am fasting. I'm not going to get involved in this evil behavior and evil speech. Also the hadith says, whoever doesn't leave this evil speech and also evil actions, wal'amala bihi, i.e. the evil actions, the haram actions, hitting people, beating people up, doing other types of actions that are haram. If a person doesn't leave those types of actions whilst he's fasting, then it reduces his reward. And it could be so much reduction that he gets no reward left for that day. It's possible that all of his reward gets wiped out because of his evil actions that he does. So that's what the hadith says. A person must stop his evil speech and his evil actions whilst fasting. And of course, he should stop that even outside of fasting. But here the hadith says, if a person doesn't stop that during his fasting, then his reward will decrease and decrease. But there's a third thing also. There's the evil speech and the false speech. There's the evil actions and the false actions. 
But there's a third thing that the hadith says that a person must stop and not do whilst fasting. And that is al-jahl. But the meaning of al-jahl here, it doesn't mean ignorance only. It doesn't just mean ignorance and it doesn't actually indicate ignorance. It indicates foolishness. That a person whilst he's fasting should not behave with foolishness. And he shouldn't accompany the foolish ones and behave in a foolish manner. Do things which are foolishness. He shouldn't be doing that whilst fasting. So an individual who behaves in that way, behaves in a very foolish way, does things which are not befitting of a believer to do, does things that are not good for a Muslim to do, gets involved in foolish activity, then that is something which also decreases the reward of a person who is fasting. So the hadith says, whoever does the qawl zur the evil and the false speech of lying and slandering and backbiting and swearing, and also the amal, the action of evil actions and haram actions whilst fasting, and also al-jahl, i.e. foolishness, foolish acts whilst he's fasting. Whoever does those three things whilst he is fasting, then it mentions, فَلَيْسَ لِلَّهِ حَاجَةً Then there is no need, Allah has no need for that person to leave his food and drink. What does it mean that Allah has no need for that person to leave his food and drink? The scholars have said that it means Allah does not want that type of fasting. Allah has commanded us to fast. But Allah does not want the people to fast in a way when they are going to be swearing and abusing and doing evil actions. Allah doesn't want that kind of fasting. That's what this hadith means. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't want that kind of fasting. If you're going to fast like that, then what's the point of you doing it? If you're going to fast in swearing and abusing and evil speech and haram actions, then the hadith says Allah doesn't want that kind of fasting. Allah is not pleased with that kind of fasting and Allah doesn't want that kind of fasting. So this is what's mentioned and that's why this hadith is an indication of the behavior that a Muslim should be upon whilst fasting. A Muslim shouldn't think that I'm fasting and that's okay as long as I don't eat or drink and do intercourse and the other things that will break my fast, then I'm okay. Even if I swear and I abuse and I curse and I beat someone up and these things, they don't break my fast. So a Muslim might think it doesn't matter. But that's wrong. As a believer, you should be fasting in the way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala desires you to fast. The way that Allah is pleased for you to fast. And that is that you don't get involved in haram actions. You don't get involved in haram speech. You don't get involved in foolish actions. That is the type of fasting Allah wants. But for the one who gets involved in those activities, then the hadith says there's no need for him to leave his food and drink then. Why is he bothering to leave his food and drink if he's going to carry on doing all of those haram actions? So that's what a person should avoid. Avoid all of those evil and haram actions to make sure that his fasting is being rewarded. Then the next hadith, عن عائشة رضي الله عنها قالت كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يقبل وهو صائم ويباشر وهو صائم ولكنه أملككم لإربه متفق عليه ولفظ لمسلم وزاد في رواية في رمضان This hadith now says the hadith of Aisha رضي الله عنها that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم he used to kiss he used to kiss his wives whilst he was fasting and he used to engage in foreplay with his wives whilst he was fasting. However, Aisha radiallahu anha says he was the strongest in his resolution, i.e. desires didn't overcome the Prophet He was firm in his resolution, he was firm in his control of himself that the desires didn't overcome him. So what does this hadith mean and what are the rulings we can take from it? The hadith which is muttafaqun alayh. In Bukhari and in Muslim. And in one narration it even says that the Prophet used to do all of that in Ramadan. This hadith therefore indicates that the Prophet used to engage in what we would term as foreplay. Meaning those actions that would perhaps typically lead to intercourse. Meaning that there would be physical contact between the husband and the wife without any clothing. That there would be physical contact between the husband and the wife without any barrier. 
So this type of physical contact between the husband and the wife, and also kissing of the husband to the wife in Ramadan, in fasting, that's something the Prophet ﷺ used to do. However, the hadith says, that even though this physical contact occurred between the husband and the wife, between the Prophet ﷺ and his wives, and the kissing occurred during fasting, the hadith says, you must remember that the Prophet ﷺ, he was the strongest in, in uh, having control over himself, i.e. that the desires did not overcome the Prophet ﷺ. So the hadith indicates the permissibility of physical contact. The hadith indicates the permissibility of physical contact. فَدَلَّ عَلَى جَوَازْ مُبَاشَرَةِ الصَّائِمْ لِأَهْلِهِ يَعْنِ لَمْسِ زَوْجَتِهِ وَتَقْبِيلِهَا Indicates the permissibility of physical contact between the husband and the wife and the kissing even whilst he is fasting. إِذَا كَانَ بِشَرْطِ يَعْنِ إِذَا كَانَ ذَلِكَ لَا يُثِيرُ شَهْوَتَهُ If that physical contact and kissing is not going to arouse his desire. It's not going to bring about desire for him. If that can be controlled, then it's permissible to do so. It's permissible to have contact and to kiss if he is able to control the desire. أَمَّا إِذَا كَانَ يُثِيرُ شَهْوَتَهُ فَإِنَّهُ لَا يَجُوزُ لَهُ But if an individual knows that this will cause desire in him, then it is not permissible to do that. To have the physical contact without intercourse, of course. Intercourse is, is not permissible. Intercourse breaks your fast. Here, this is just physical contact without intercourse. Kissing and other physical contact without intercourse, without the contact of the uh, private region. So this, if an individual knows that his desire is controlled, then it's permissible. But if not, then it is not permissible. إِذَا كَانَ يُثِيرُ شَهْوَتُهُ فَإِنَّهُ لَا يَجُوزُ لَهُ ذَلِكَ بَلْ يَبْتَعِدُ عَنْهُ لِأَنَّهُ وَسِيلَ إِلَى الشَّرْقِ It is a means to evil if he cannot control his desire. Because what is the evil that could occur? He may end up committing intercourse and therefore falling into evil. So the one who is not able to control that, then he is not allowed. It is haram for him to do so. But the one who is able, then it is permissible as the Prophet ﷺ did. وَمِنْ هُنَا قَالَ الْفُقَهَا for this reason, the fuqaha, the scholars, they said, يُرَخَّصُ فِي الْقُبْلَةِ لِشَيْخٍ يَعْنِي كَبِيرُ السِّنِّ وَيُنْهَ عَنْهَا لِشَابِ لِأَنَّ الشَّابِ مَظَنَّةُ قُوَّةِ شَهْوَةِ وَثَوْرَانِهَا The fuqaha, the scholars, they said, that they used to give permission or give the license, the, 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 the license, the acceptability to the old people, the old people to kiss or to have physical contact during Ramadan, because typically somebody who is old in age, then that desire is not strong, and he will be able to control his affair. However, they used to say that it is prohibited for the young and the strong ones to engage in that activity, because typically in the young and the strong ones, the desire is strong. And therefore they may fall into evil. So the scholars and the fuqaha, they used to say, for the elders, then it's okay. They are typically able to control that affair. The desire is weak. But with the young and the strong, typically that desire is strong, so they are forbidden from doing that. إِذَا فَلَا يَجُوزُ التَّرْخِيصِ لِصَائِمِينَ بِالْمُبَاشَرَةِ وَالتَّقْبِيلِ مُطْلَقًا Therefore, it is not permissible for everyone and anyone to engage in physical activity Without intercourse, of course, or kissing. It's not permissible for any individual. It's only permissible, as the fuqaha say, mostly for the elderly people, i.e. the ones who are not going to have desire and not going to fall into evil. But for the young who have strong desire, then they should not engage in that. كَمَا يَقُولُ بَعْضُ طَلَبَةِ الْعِلْمِ Because some people, they say anyone can do that. Some people, they use this hadith, that the Prophet used to kiss Aisha radiallahu anha, or that he used to kiss some of his wives, or that he used to engage in physical activity without intercourse. So they say that's an evidence that you can do that, it's permissible. But it's not permissible for everyone. It's only permissible for those where the desire is controlled. As for the strong and the youthful where the desire is not controlled, then it is not permissible. لا بد من هذا القيد الذي ذكرته أم المؤمنين عائشة 
you have to remember this restriction that Aisha radiallahu anha herself mentioned in the hadith that the Prophet ﷺ, he was the strongest of you in controlling his desire. So the issue is linked to the control of the desire. The youth and the ones who are strong typically cannot. So for them, the fuqaha, they say, no, you shouldn't do that. The elders who typically can, then they say, yes, you can implement that. That hadith is how uh, the ruling is indicated. So you have to make the differentiation between the one who can control the desire and the one who the desire will be aroused. The one who it is not aroused, then it is okay. The one where it is aroused, then it is not okay. The next hadith, عن ابن عباس رضي الله عنهما أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم احتجم وهو محرم واحتجم وهو صائم وعن شداد بن أوس رضي الله عنه that hadith in Sahih Bukhari that the Prophet ﷺ, he made the hijama, the cupping whilst he was in a state of ihram i.e. he was doing umrah or hajj whilst he was in the ihram he was gone past the miqat, he's in the ihram and he made the cupping in the state of ihram whilst he was muhrim and also that he did the cupping whilst he was fasting hadith in Sahih al-Bukhari the hadith of Shaddad ibn Aws radiallahu anhu anna Rasulullah ﷺ ata ala rajulin bil-baqi'ah وهو يحتجم في رمضان فقال أفطر الحاجم والمحجوم رواه الخمسة إلا ترمذي وصححه أحمد وابن خزيمة وابن حبان There's another hadith however that the Prophet ﷺ he went past a man next to Baqi'ah you know Baqi'ah the graveyard next to the Prophet's masjid uh, Baqi'ah the graveyard next to the Prophet's masjid he walked past that Baqi'ah and there was an individual who was cupping another person there. So the Prophet ﷺ said, and this was in Ramadan, during Ramadan, during the day. The Prophet ﷺ said, the one who is doing the cupping, his fast is broken. And the one who is getting cupped, his fast is broken. That's one hadith. Then there's another hadith. Anas ibn Malik قال, أول ما كرهت الحجامة للصائم أن جعفر ibn Abi Talib احتجم وهو صائم فمر به النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم فقال أفطر هذاني ثم رخص النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم بعد في الحجامة للصائم وكان أنس يحتجم وهو صائم Then there's another narration which says that the first time when it was made impermissible for the hijama, for the cupping to be done whilst fasting was when Ja'far ibn Abi Talib was doing it whilst he was fasting and the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم walked past him and said that the one who is cupping and the one who is being cupped, both of them have broken their fast. Cupping is when uh, the, you, you use certain instruments to uh, take blood out of the body. It's like a suction. You have nowadays, you use these cups. They are these plastic cups or glass cups. And you can put them on different parts of the body and it sucks the blood out. The, the old blood and the dirty blood, it is sucked out from the person. It's called cupping. And you can do it in different parts of the body. It works by suction. So it sucks the skin and then it sucks the, the dead blood out and the old blood out. That's cupping. Uh, so this cupping of putting the, using these utensils or different uh, uh, objects to suck out this surface blood or this old blood, that is what the issue is here now. So in this one it says that Ja'far ibn Abi Talib, he was doing that. And... The Prophet ﷺ said, the one doing it and the one it's being done to, both of their fasts have broken. But then afterwards, the hadith says, the Prophet ﷺ allowed it. Afterwards, he allowed it. And Anas ibn Malik, he used to do it whilst he was fasting. So now you can see that there are several different narrations. In one narration, he says, the Prophet ﷺ himself did it. In another narration, he says, that the Prophet ﷺ said, your fast is broken. So what's the correct ruling on cupping? on having the extraction of the blood whilst you are fasting. That's what these ahadith are now going to explain. So Shaykh Salih al-Fawzan, he says, هَذِهِ الْأَحَدِيثُ فِي مَوْضُوعِ الْحِجَامَ لِلصَائِمِ These ahadith, they are in the topic of cupping for the person who is fasting. And al-hijama cupping is اِسْتِخْرَاجُ الدَّمْ بِوَاسِطَةِ الْمُحْجِمِ وَهِيَ عِلَاجْ مَعْرُوفَ وَهِيَ مِنَ الطِّبَّ النَّبَوِيِ الْمُفِيدِ and cupping, it is to remove the blood by doing that suction. To remove the blood by doing that suction. 
And it is from the types of things, the types of treatments that the Prophet ﷺ used to do. And it is beneficial. And there are ahadith about it, about cupping and the permissibility of it and the goodness of it. It's allowed to do it, sunnah to do it. But we're just talking about Ramadan whilst you're fasting. Are you allowed to do it whilst you're fasting? Outside of that, of course you're allowed to do it. It's from the sunnah to do it. But here the issue is whilst you're fasting, can you do it or not? Uh, and it is mentioned that this hijama, this cupping, it is a type of medicine. It is a type of medicine. Uh, and if a person was to use it, then there is cure within it by the permission of Allah. Shaykh Saleh al-Fawzan says that if the person cupping is, ex- is an expert in that, and he does it properly, and the person whose body is being cupped is suitable for cupping, and the right time is done, the cupping is done at the right time, uh, then if all of these types of conditions are in place, you will see that the cupping has a very good benefit and effect upon that person. So it is a type of medicine. It is a type of cure where that, that uh, uh, old blood is removed from the person. So the first hadith says that we mentioned that the Prophet ﷺ, he did the cupping himself whilst he was fasting. And also that he did the cupping whilst he was in a state of ihram, doing umrah or hajj. As for when the Prophet ﷺ did the cupping and he was in a state of ihram, then there's no problem in that. That's no issue. The problem is, or the issue that we are going to look at is, that in one hadith it says the Prophet ﷺ did the cupping whilst he was fasting. In another hadith it says that the Prophet ﷺ said to those people who were cupping whilst they were fasting, that your fasts are broken. So what's the correct position? Al-hadith al-awwal yadullu ala anna al-hijama la tuftir al-sa'im. The first hadith indicates that when you do the cupping, it doesn't break your fast because the Prophet himself did it. The second hadith indicates that when you do the cupping whilst fasting, it does break your fast. And also the one who's doing it, it breaks his fast. But what's the correct position then? Here then the Shaykh says, أَمَّا الْمَحْجُومُ فَلِأَنَّهُ السُّكِبَ مِنْهُ الدَّمَ الَّذِي بِهِ قُوَّةُ الْبَدْنِ فَأَفْضَرَ بِذَارِكِ The reason why it's mentioned in that hadith that the person who does the cupping, his fast breaks, or the one who has the cupping done to him, his fast breaks, is because blood is being removed from his body. And if you remove blood from the body, it makes you weak. It makes you weak. And so when it makes you weak and the blood is removed from the body, that is a cause for your fast to be broken. Just like when a menstruating woman blood exits from her, that breaks her fast. When she's menstruating, her fast is no longer valid. She can't fast. Just like that, when you cup, you are removing that blood from the body and therefore the fast is not valid. Uh, because it makes you weak when the blood is removed from the body. What about the person who is actually doing the cupping? In the olden days, sometimes they used to use straws to use the suction. To get the suction, they used to use straws. So it's possible that when he's doing that suction, some of the blood may actually enter into the one who's doing it. He might actually end up swelling some by accident. For that reason, the Prophet ﷺ said, even the one doing it, his fast is broken. Because maybe there's a risk that he might suck some blood himself. So for that reason, the second hadith says, that the one who does the cupping whilst he's fasting, then his fast is broken, because blood has gone out of his body, and that weakens him. And also the one doing it, his fast is broken, because potentially, he may suck some blood in too. That's why that hadith mentions, that the fast of that person breaks. Uh, whereas the hadith, the third hadith, it combines between the first and the second hadith. The first hadith said it's permissible. The second hadith said it's impermissible. The third hadith combines between them. 
it says that originally it was impermissible and then afterwards it was made permissible. So then, أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم كان ينهى عن الحجامة في أول الأمر ثم رخص فيها بعد ذلك. That the Prophet ﷺ used to prohibit that originally and then he allowed it afterwards. فتكون أحاديث الترخيص ناسخة لأحاديث المنع. So in this instance, the ahadith which indicate that it's permissible, they are abrogating the ahadith which said that it's impermissible. Meaning the impermissibility came first, but then afterwards it was made allowed. So afterwards it was allowed. So here you can tell that there's a difference of ahadith. There's two or three different ahadith. One hadith says to you cupping is permissible whilst you're fasting. In Ramadan, another hadith says to you, it breaks your fast if you do it in Ramadan. The third hadith says that it used to be haram, that it used to break your fast, but then the new ruling came that it doesn't. So what is the correct position then? Here the scholars, they differed. The first opinion then, these are the different opinions about cupping whilst you're fasting. Is it allowed or not? قول الجمهور والأئمة الثلاثة أبو حنيفة والمالك والشافعي Abu Hanifa, Malik and Shafi'i and the majority of the scholars, they have the opinion that when you do the cupping, if you're fasting, it does not break your fast. That is the Abu Hanifa, Malik, Shafi'i and the majority of the scholars. It does not break your fast. Because of the first hadith that we mentioned, that the Prophet that the Prophet he made the hijama on himself, the cupping on himself, Whilst he was fasting, which clearly shows to you that it doesn't break the fast. So they took that opinion. And also because of the third hadith which said that originally it used to be haram, but then afterwards it was made okay. So they said these evidences indicate to you that it, it is okay. But then, how do they answer the second hadith? The second hadith says, that the one who fa- uh, does the cupping, then he breaks his fast, and the one who does it breaks the fast. How do they answer to that then? By saying that that hadith is abrogated. They say that hadith is abrogated. They say, yes, originally that was the ruling. But then afterwards, these other hadith came about, which told you that it's actually okay, and therefore the end ruling is that it's okay. That's what they said. The second opinion is the statement of Imam Ahmad and some of the muhaddithin. They say that the hijama, it breaks your fast. Cupping, it breaks your fast. Um, and it is not permissible. And there are many scholars who made this opinion, who took this opinion. Ibn Khuzayma, Shaykh al-Islam Ibn Taymiyyah, uh, Ibn al-Qayyim. And many of the scholars, they took this opinion that it breaks your fast. Why? Because of that second hadith. When the Prophet ﷺ saw those two people doing it and he said, both of you, your fasts are broken. They took that hadith and they said, we implement this hadith and therefore somebody who cups during Ramadan in fasting, his fast is broken. That hadith where the Prophet ﷺ said to those two people, the one who was being cupped, his fast is broken. And the one who was doing it, his fast is broken, was narrated by many companions. 13, 15, 17, 16, a lot of companions, a number in the teens, 13, 14, 15, 16, something along those lines. A large number of companions narrated that hadith. So it's mutawatir, it's narrated by many companions that the Prophet said to them, your fast is broken. Also, qawiyul isnad, it has a very strong chain of narration. And it is clear in its meaning that the one who does that Cupping his fast is broken. But then how do they answer to the other ahadith? The other ahadith said that it was made aloud afterwards. How do they answer to that then? They say, وَأَجَابَ عَنْ حَدِيثِ They reply and give you the response and the explanation to the other hadith which says that the Prophet ﷺ, he... Uh, did the hijama, he did the cupping whilst he was fasting. They answer to that hadith and they say, uh, That the hadith 
فهي غير محفوظة وإن كانت في صحيح البخاري They say that first hadith where it said that the Prophet ﷺ did the cupping whilst he was in a state of ihram whilst he was doing the umrah or the hajj and also whilst he was in a state of fasting they said the first part of the hadith yes that's authentic that the Prophet ﷺ did the hijama and the cupping whilst he was in ihram no problem but they said the next part of the hadith and that the Prophet also did it whilst he was fasting they said that part of the hadith isn't uh, legitimate. They said that part of the hadith, there's actually a problem with it. It's weak. Even if it's in Sahih Bukhari, it's in Sahih Bukhari. But they said that part of it is an addition, it's an extra part which there's some weakness in it. It's not being established. That's why Imam Muslim, when he narrated that hadith, he only narrated the first part. He didn't narrate the second part where he said, that the Prophet ﷺ did the hijama whilst he was fasting too. He didn't narrate that bit. He left it. So they said that section of the hadith, it's an addition onto the hadith which isn't authentic. There's some issue with it. So therefore they would say, based upon that, that the true part of the hadith, the authentic part of it, is that the Prophet ﷺ did the hijama whilst he was in ihram. No problem. But the second part, where he did it whilst he was fasting, they said that is not established. And Imam Muslim didn't say it as well. What is established is this other hadith narrated by many companions that the Prophet ﷺ said, your fast is broken if you do it. So they said that gets precedence now. We therefore give that precedence. And this is an issue that many of the scholars they spoke about. Many of the scholars have mentioned that in that hadith which is in Sahih Bukhari, the first part there's no problem with it, it's authentic. But the second part at the end, they have mentioned that few words at the end, there is an issue with it. And many of the scholars have mentioned that it may not be absolutely authentic. Many scholars have mentioned that in the past. So this is the other opinion. That therefore, it is not permissible to do the cupping. And that narration which says it is, that is an extra part of the hadith, an additional wording which isn't uh, 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 100% authentic. That it wasn't established and preserved as that wording. Um, and this, like we said, is the opinion of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, ibn al-Qayyim, and many of the others. Then after that, the Shaykh mentions, linked to this issue, linked to the issue of the things that break your fast. Here, the blood taken out of the body weakens a person. The blood goes out of his body, it weakens a person that breaks your fast. Here the Shaykh says there are two types. Sometimes one of the types of things that can break your fast is if you eat something, you enter something into your body, like food and drink. But sometimes the other type of thing that can break your fast if something exits from your body. For example, for example, the menstruation blood that exits from your body and that breaks the fast, finished, you can't fast. Postnatal bleeding after the birth exits from your body, that blood, you can't fast. Uh, vomit, a person vomits on purpose, that exits from your body, your fast is broken. This blood exits from your body, your fast is broken. So the fast can be broken by two ways, either entering something into your body, food and drink, etc. Or exiting something from your body. And this hijama is from the section of exiting something from your body. Then the shaykh said, the final point is, what about other things that are similar to hijama? For example, extracting blood from a person who's fasting. Sometimes you go to the doctor, they say, we need a blood sample. They want to take out a blood sample from you. Sahbu dam min asaim mitl hijama yufter. Faida sahaba dam min asaim li isafin marid au tabarru bihi lil marda fainahu yufter bidalik lena hada mitl hijama tamaman. The Shaykh said, extracting blood from a person. For example, somebody who goes to donate blood. You know, they have these blood banks. You go to donate blood. Somebody wants to donate blood. If you go and get that extraction of the blood done, they get the syringe and they take the blood out, breaks your fast. 
That is now extraction or exiting of the blood from your body that breaks your fast. Also, for example, um, somebody is ill and they need blood. They, need, they say, we need a blood donor now. We need help. We need a blood donor. So you say, I'll donate. I'll donate you the blood. So they extract the blood from you. Again, same ruling. The blood has come out of you now, extracted from you now. Your fast is broken. That is the type of breaking the fast when extraction occurs from your body. What about if a person gets injured? He falls over, he's playing around, he's playing some sports, he's running about like some people do. And so he falls down and lots of blood comes out from his body. Knee opens up and all the blood comes out. Is that breaking his fast or not? It's exiting from his body. We said one of the types of breaking your fast is if it's something exits from your body. This is blood exiting from the body. Does it break his fast or not? The Shaykh says no. That doesn't affect his fast. Because this wasn't out of choice. It wasn't his choice. He didn't purposely fall over and break his knee and all the blood came out. It was an accident. It's not his choice. So if you are injured and blood comes out, even if it's lots, that doesn't break your fast. But cupping is out of your choice. You choose to go and get yourself cupped on that day. Exit the blood, so it breaks your fast. If you go and donate blood, you choose to do that, it breaks your fast. These types of affairs, they break your fast. But as for the injury, when blood is released, and the strongest opinion the Sheikh says is, that doesn't break your fast. Blood samples right now. The Sheikh says, وَأَمَّا إِسْتِخْرَاجُ الدَّمْءَ الْيَسِيرِ لِلْتَحْلِيلِ أَوْ مَا أَشْبَهَ ذَلِكِ what about when you go to the doctors, they say, you've got some illness, you're ill, we need to take a small sample of blood. They put the needle in, they take a small sample of blood, just to, just to do some tests, and run some tests on that blood. What about this small sample of blood they take in a small syringe, just a small amount, does that affect or not? The Shaykh says, a small amount for testing and for checking any illness or something in you, that small amount they extract, they doesn't, that doesn't break your fast. Because that isn't similar to hijama. Hijama, you take out lots of blood. They take out lots of blood when they do hijama. A small amount of blood in the syringe like that, that doesn't affect anything. A small amount of blood, the Sheikh says, that doesn't affect the uh, fast. إِذَا أَخَذَ نُقْطَ مِنَ الدَّمْ أَوْ بِرَأْسِ الْبِرْوَازِ أَخَذَ مِنْهُ عَيِّنَا مِنْ أَجْلِ التَّحْلِيلِ فَهَذَا لَا يُفْتَرِ if they take, sometimes they only take a, a small spot of blood. They make a little, uh, uh, they, 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 uh, with a needle, they make a little hole, and just a small bit of blood comes out, they just take that, and that's it sometimes. That kind of thing doesn't break the fast, the sheikh says. They take a small, tiny sample from you to do examinations or run some tests. That doesn't break the fast, Sheikh Salih al-Fawzan, he mentions. Because that's not the same as al-hijama. Hijama, you take a lot of blood out. As for this small sample, it's not the same. وَإِنَّمَا الَّذِي بِمَعْنَ الْحِجَامَةِ هُوَ الصَّحْبُ الْكَثِيرُ وَكَذَلِكَ الْفَصْطِ هُوَ تَشْرِيطُ الْعِرْقِ لِأَجْلِ خُرُوجِ الدَّمْ هَذَا مِتْلِ الْحِجَامَةِ أَيْضًا يُفْتَرُ الصَّائِمِ The Shaykh says, what is going to break your fast is when you take a large amount of blood out and also uh, with the veins and the arteries when they sometimes extract a vein or an artery and the blood is taken that way, if it's a large amount of blood they're going to take out, then that breaks the fast. But as for a very small sample, then that, the Shaykh says, doesn't break your fast. That is with regards to the items that exit and enter the body of a person. And we'll do this one more hadith. Final hadith. وَعَنْ عَائِشَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهَا أَنَّ النَّبِيَّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ اِكْتَحَلَ فِي رَمَضَانِ وَهُوَ صَائِمٌ رواه ابن ماجه باسناد ضعيف قال الترمذي لا يصح في هذا الباب شيء. So everybody's understood the issue about the hijama now. The hijama, there's a difference of opinion then. Some of the scholars say no, you can't do it. Because of the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, that the one who does it, his fast is broken, and the one who was doing it to him, his fast is broken. And the scholars, they who took that opinion, like Ibn Taymiyyah and Imam Ahmed, they said the other hadith where it says that the Prophet did it. Those ahadith, that piece of wording is actually a bit uh, dubious. There is some issue with that wording. The others, they said, no, the wording is okay, it's authentic, and that therefore abrogates the other hadith, and therefore you can do it. 
So there are the two opinions about the hijama and it's an issue that's different about. Then extracting other blood, if it's a large amount, like we said, it breaks your fast. But if it was a very small sample, a spot of blood, a teeny amount of blood for checking or for sampling, then that doesn't break the fast. And if it was an injury and it went out, then the opinion is it doesn't break the fast. Here now we have a hadith where Aisha radiallahu anha says that the Prophet used kuhl, the, uh, the eye lining. You know, the eye lining, kuhl. You have this type of lining that you can, that you can use. That he used that, the Prophet used it whilst he was fasting. So now we have this issue. Is it permissible for a person to use that kuhl whilst he's fasting or not? Uh, really, this hadith about the kuhl, there's lots of other issues that are going to come into it as well then. People always ask about what? They always ask about eye drops. Are eye drops allowed whilst you're fasting? All those types of issues are linked to this. Now, kuhl, using it on the eyes, eye drops in the eyes, it's all about that issue. Does that break your fast or not? هذا لم يرد فيه شيء قال الترمذي لا يصح في هذا الباب شيء لا بالنفي ولا بالإثبات فالأصل الإباحة Many of the scholars have said that actually there isn't any authentic narration about that issue Many of the scholars have said that there isn't any authentic narration about this particular issue Even this hadith many of the scholars said it's not authentic So many of the scholars say there isn't any authentic narration about the eyes So they say the origin is, the principle is, if there's no narration about it, it's permissible. So you can use eye drops and things. That's what some of the scholars mentioned. Because the eye is not an inlet to the stomach. If you put eye drops into the eye, are those eye drops going to eventually come around and go to your stomach and you'll be full? And you won't feel hungry again? They don't. So the scholars said the eyes, they are not an inlet to your stomach. Therefore, based upon that, they say it's okay. And for that same reason, it is therefore permissible for a person to do the kuhl. Maybe some of the kuhl might go into his eye. But that's not going to go then into his stomach and he's going to be full. So, that's permissible. It's permissible to use eye drops. And to use medicinal eye drops. Because there is nothing which prohibits it. There are no narrations which indicate the impermissibility of using eye drops or anything to put into the eyes. However, the scholars do say, The better thing to do is to try to avoid it though. It's allowed, it's permissible to use eye drops and kuhl. But it's better to avoid it. لِذَٰلِكَ إِذَا وَضَعَ الْإِنسَانُ شَيْءٍ فَعَيْنِهِ وَجَدَ طَعَمُهُ فِي حَلْقِهِ وَلَوْنِهِ فِي حَلْقِهِ فَهُوَ مَظَنَّ أَنَّهُ يَتَسَرَّبَ إِلَى حَلْقِ هذا شيء مشاهد أن الإنسان إذا وضع في عينه دواء أو قطرة يجد طعم ذلك وأثره في حلقه حتى ولو لم يرد فيه نص فهذا يؤخذ من الواقع فيكره الكحل ووضع الدواء في العين أو القطرة في العين أقل أحواله أنه يكره لأنه يصل إلى الحلق وهذا شيء مجرب ومشاهد Sheikh Saleh al-Fawzan then says though, it is experienced in real life experience that with certain types of medicines, this is known, the Sheikh says, this is known by experience. And people who use eye drops or certain types of eye drops, they will know about these affairs. That there are certain types of medicinal eye drops or things of that nature, that when people use them, they put them into their eyes, it does give you an effect, you feel some type of taste in your neck. Sometimes you end up feeling something in your neck, a type of change of taste in your neck. When you put eye drops into your eyes, experience is known by trial and error, by testing. People have done it and they've experienced that in reality, that they use eye drops and then they feel a taste changes in their neck. So the shaykh says, based upon that reality that we've experienced, it would therefore be makruh to use the eye drops. Even though we can't say it's haram, there's no evidence to say that it's haram to use eye drops. Because originally, the principle is that the eye drops, or what's established, is that the eye drops are not an inlet to the stomach. However, the shaykh says, through real life experience, some people have mentioned that they can feel a taste in their necks after the eye drops. So based upon that, the shaykh says, it's better, even though it's allowed and it's permissible, and we can't say it's haram, it's better to try and avoid it if you can. Leave it till after Ramadan finishes if you can. If you only have to take the eye drops once or twice a day, do it afterwards when the, when the fasting finishes. So that's better. وَكَذَلِكَ الْقَطِرَ فِي الْأُذَنِ وَضْعُ شَيْءٍ فِي الْأُذَنِ أَيْضًا مِثْلُ الْقَطِرَ فِي الْعَيْنِ 
الأولى والأحوض أن يتجنب الإنسان هذا also eardrops again there's no actual evidence to say that eardrops are haram and that they break your fast but again the sheikh says it's better it's better for you to try to avoid it if you only have to take the eardrops once a day or twice a day then do it in the evening after the fast opens why do it during the day then if it's only once or twice a day so the better thing to do again the sheikh says even with eardrops is to try to avoid them during the day but in reality it's just like the eye you can't say it's haram and that it breaks your fast but it's better to avoid it and do it outside of the time of the fasting. What about, sometimes you get certain types of drops which are for the nose. You have to sniff it in or you have to uh, uh, squeeze it into your nose. What about those types of drops? That's clear, it breaks your fast. Because the nose goes directly down, directly down into the stomach. So that breaks your fast for the drops that go into the nose. Certain types of medicines you have to uh, pour into your nose or that type of thing, they break your fast. Hmm. So that's the summary about those issues. With the eyes and the uh, ears, there's no evidence to say that it breaks your fast if you put anything to the eyes or the ears, drops, etc. Because they don't really have an inlet to the stomach. However, it's been experienced that people do have a change of taste in their mouths when they use them. So based upon that, the Sheikh says, even though we can't say it's haram and it breaks your fast, but it's still better to try to avoid it and to keep it outside of the fasting time if you can. If you can't, you've been told to use it several times a day, then what can you do? Then you have to use it. And it's not mentioned that it's going to break your fast with evidence. But as for the nose, then nothing can be inserted into the nose because the nose goes directly to the point of breaking the fast. That's with that issue. Next week on Saturday at 6.30, inshallah, we'll start with the issue of somebody eating if they forget. Somebody might be fasting and it's a long day and you go to the kitchen and you find a big cake and you eat it by accident. And then afterwards you remember, subhanallah, I was fasting today. Then what do you do? So now next week we'll look at this issue of somebody who eats forgetfully. They forget. Then they remember, oh, I'm fasting. Then what's the ruling? What does he have to do then? We'll start with that issue next week, inshallah.